Hello and welcome to DMCs with Clarissa, where everything that goes beyond small talk is discussed. Hello and welcome to the third episode of DMCs with Clarissa. Today we have another very exciting topic, diving, and the person that is joining us today is Tess. Hi everyone! Thank you very much for joining us today and could you just give us a brief introduction about yourself please? Yes, of course, thank you for having me. So I'm originally Swedish and I currently live in Switzerland where I'm working for a company which focuses on assessing environmental and social risks of companies. So we look at everything from companies' pollution scandals, also to human rights breaches, and the hope of calling companies out um, of what they do wrong here in the world and making the world a bit of a better place. I grew up uh, both in Switzerland and in Sweden. As I did my high school here, Uh, where I did uh, the International Bachelorette in the International School. Studied uh, various topics, economics, biology and theatre as well. And after high school I moved uh, to the UK to do business management at uh, Exeter University. And my master came after that in climate change and finance at Imperial College London. Thank you very much for that introduction. And I have to say, you picked the topic of diving, but now listening to your upbringing and where you've lived, how did you get into diving in the first place? So, growing up in Sweden during the summers, I think I spent hours and hours in the water, mm -hmm. even though it was very cold. I think Swedish kids don't really feel the cold that much. And I'm not sure if there's a difference between certain people of when they get in water and with other people that some people just feel very comfortable mm -hmm. and relaxed when they feel water on their face and they dive under. Um, that's certainly the feeling that I have. And I was then lucky enough to have a father who was very into scuba diving. And I have two older brothers. None of them latched on to diving. He was very disappointed, um, but it finally worked with me. So I had the privilege of him introducing me to scuba diving and I got certified in 2010. And since then, we've, uh, I've had the privilege enough to uh, travel around with him and going on diving trips, uh, really planning around that. And in more recent years, me and my partner both share the passion for both scuba diving and freediving. So uh, we are continuing that journey as well. That's really cool. And what exactly fascinates you about diving? So there's some, some different things, especially when it comes to either being scuba diving, so with tanks in the water, and from freediving. I think the thing with scuba diving is firstly that you can breathe on the water. It uh, feels very unreal and uh, unnatural, but at the same time, you feel like you immerse and become a fish or a, a, a different species. Um, and the same thing, I think, with the sensation of floating. So it feels very magical. 
Um, and I think with scuba diving, what's so amazing is that without uh, being able to breathe on the water, you spend um, very little time being able to see what's happening around you. But actually being able to scuba dive, you can observe corals or one little fish or a nudie branch for uh, 10 minutes up to 50 minutes if you would like to, if you don't moving around. Um, then of course is this discovery of new species and seeing them in real life and seeing how they interact and also how many of species underwater actually also interact with yourself. And don't you think, because when I think of diving, the, the thought is always quite suffocating because as you say, it's unnatural to be able to breathe underwater. And there's always, at least for me, a little bit of a scare that maybe the air tank is empty or maybe I'm not able to get up to the water surface in time. Like, how do you deal with that? Is that a thought that crosses your mind at all when you dive or is it just something you block out? I don't think it crosses my mind too much, but it's also that why it's so important to have a certificate mm -hmm. and know the safety procedures. So okay. always yeah. diving with a buddy and knowing that you're, if you, for some reason, which rarely happens, would run out of air because you didn't see it or didn't tell anyone in time, um, your buddy would be able to give you regulator and then you would be able to go up together so okay. it's knowing that there is a safety procedure and um, there's a lot of standards behind this and but similarly I think now I recently started uh, free diving as well so this is when you go completely natural so without any tanks um, similar to people say that it's like snorkeling so you just dive down okay um, the reason that I did a free diving course was especially for the safety measures right. so if i'm swimming down 20 meters and something happens to me i want whoever my buddy or whoever i'm uh, freediving with to know the safety procedures so for freediving i was mainly doing it for recreational uh, purposes so that i could go let's say swim down to 20 meters and look at sharks or uh, go with whales for instance but during the course you do training on a line so you drop a line of 20 meters maybe in the water and then you swim along it down. Once you come to the bottom, you turn around, you can have a look around. Wait, so how, question, how does it actually differ to normal diving? So you don't have a tank with free diving. No. So you're just holding your breath? You're just holding your breath. Ah, okay. So yeah. it's like breath work as well, probably. It's a lot of breath work. Many free divers also uh, practice a lot of yoga. So it's a lot more internal work and being calm is the most important part of freediving um, because the more movement and the more excitement you have in your body the more um, the more energy you're using so it's all about preserving um, that oxygen and also not that your co2 levels should build up but naturally there is a point where once your co2 levels exceed your oxygen levels you can have a blackout Okay. But it takes very long for this to occur. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, you have freedivers who can hold their breath for 10 minutes, 12 minutes. Uh, typically, when you go, for instance, now when I did it, I max one minute underwater. And if I'm going down to 20 meters. Yeah. But you, your body will give you so many hints before. It's not a risk free activity, of course not. But of course, if you're pushing yourself, 
to 10 minutes, that's a different story from one minute. Yeah, for so sure. From my side, I'm not uh, doing it as a professional or for competitions, um, but it's truly for this recreational purpose and also to... Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's meditative, so it's a way as well to calm the mind and to build up on your uh, way of being a bit more conscious and letting your thoughts go. I like that. And I actually found this quote by one of the most famous divers, and his name is Jacques-Yves Cousteau. Mm-hmm. And um, he once said, for most of history, mm-hmm. man has had to fight nature to survive, in the century, he's beginning to realize that in order to survive, he must protect it. And I just wanted to know your thoughts on this, especially considering that you're working for a company, as you said before, that focuses on this topic of saving the world we live in yeah. from a nature perspective. It's um, definitely something that I guess now in mainstream is we're becoming more aware of. Um, and naturally, as you see, you have uh, my master's. Uh, studies, I think uh, climate change and finance masters are something that wouldn't have existed many years ago. I think we've been aware of the need to protect our nature for quite a long while. I think just the system that we have built or built our wealth upon has not considered it. Um, so nature has never, the value of nature has never been monetized to the value that it's uh, representing. Right. Many natural resources have been taken for free or very low cost. And today, I think in the mainstream, you see a bigger shift and a bigger push, especially on, I work a lot uh, with financial institutions, where there's hope that financial institutions, because they hold on to all this capital, can and they've been the ones that exploit and finance companies that are exploiting nature, can switch around and uh, make sure that companies turn around to not exploit nature and to actually protect it. Um, make sure that our financial structures and the way our system work also doesn't exploit nature to, uh, to the extent that we're doing today. And I think the issue here is, I believe that companies don't really see how they can monetize it or how they can capitalize nature. Exactly, know? exactly. So now there's, I mean, this big conversation around, so we want one metric to be able to measure everything. With climate change, um, carbon dioxide or carbon dioxide equivalents, such as green, or all the greenhouse gas emissions have become that metric. But there's this thing that we also call a carbon tunnel view. So if okay. we're too focused on reducing um, greenhouse gas emissions, we might miss the connection of greenhouse gas emissions to biodiversity risk or also to impacts on communities. And maybe when we're assessing projects or uh, new investments, we might just see that, okay, it's lowering greenhouse gas emissions with this percentage, but not considering the full scope. So here, as in anything, we like to simplify things and measure them in quite straightforward metrics. When it comes to nature, it's a lot broader biodiversity there's no easy way of measuring it and even understanding how you attribute that to a specific company so it's all these conversation of how do we actually translate what's happening or the company's impact in the world um, on an area on an ecosystem and then bake that into 
our financial system, so our loans, equity investments. So it's very, I don't have the answer, Yeah. but it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, my company that I work for is trying to do a small part, be part of one tiny puzzle piece, but uh, it will take the whole economy and I think essentially a pretty big system change for us to see a true change in how we deal with nature. Do you think that the stakeholders that you talk to every day, those people that work in these financial institutions, can you see a genuine interest from their side? Or is it more like, oh, we have to do this, so we'll have a call with this company that focuses on it? Like, what's their standpoint? Yes and no. So I'll tell you one thing that I think shocked me. I mean, this is also one of my first first jobs that I that I have after doing um, internships. Mm -hmm. But the biggest shock for me was actually when I speak to financial institutions, and then I speak to oil and gas companies, environmental teams. The quality of knowledge and the extent of knowledge and the questions they ask are so different within an oil and gas uh, environmental team. They are incredibly intelligent and uh, challenge you a lot. Our data is quite high level on the surface. Uh, what we focus on is uh, what we call controversies. We look at uh, around 100,000 sources that we screen each day and around a half a million documents. Okay. These are then screened to identify a environmental risk, a social risk, so let's say so maybe there's a um, risk of or a report that's saying this particular company is engaging in greenwashing because they have fake marketing. Or on the other hand, that this uh, company's got detected um, labor issues within their supply chain. Mm -hmm. So these are things that we would gather and then produce a risk metric from and also qualitative information. So. In easy words, we filter out the noise for our clients. So for this oil and gas companies and their environmental teams, it's pretty simple data. They're also a lot closer to their company and if they have as well than uh, um, daughter companies down the line that they're monitoring. Financial institutions, some fewer than more, are very specialized and very knowledgeable. But most, I would say, are still very early days in understanding how everything fits together and I agree with myself I'm not an expert but you can always compare when you know someone's talking out of extreme knowledge and someone's talking out of thin air thin air because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do I do the latter most. <laughs> but I think that's also part of the fact that it's still such a new topic yeah and even though I mean, politicians have been speaking about it for a while, I feel like since we've probably been teenagers, but now it's really getting into action and now people are realizing, oh wait, we actually don't have any people with that knowledge because everyone thought we can push it back another year and focus on other things and now the time has come where we need the experts and we don't have any. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if you have the experts, it might be that they've been in the wrong hands, like 1960s Exxon published internal reports about the effect they were having on climate change and mm -hmm. how they were increasing greenhouse gas emissions in the world. These reports were never were, uh, were leaked, but I think a lot of investment in lobbying and pushing mm -hmm. these down, also lobbying a lot of scientists, um, making sure that they don't have a voice, has been a part of that, um, 
that it has been silenced for so long. So I think there's a lot of people fighting this cause. And I think a big question I ask myself as well is that, is it good that the mainstream is now involved? Or is it creating a lot of products and essentially greenwashing or social mm -hmm. washing or rainbow washing, whatever you want to call it? because everyone wants to be involved and some people want to just capitalize on it yeah and all these um the painting vandalisms that are happening in museums and it's always young people like it's it's people that are younger than us they're like 14 15 and they're gluing themselves to these paintings or they're destroying the paintings to make a point but i almost feel like that it's moving this whole discussion into a bad light so what, what do you think, like, do you think it's effective what they're doing or what's your point of view on, on this activism? I think it depends as well on what the cause is, right? I think activism has probably worked, I don't know enough of like uh, past cases where it's worked, but I think if it's a very specific cause and there's a solution. Um, perhaps there is a civil rights movement and it's very clear that someone has less rights than the other. I mean, women's rights is quite exactly. an example. So women's yeah. rights is an example here. Whereas with climate change, it's quite tough because yes, we have the solutions there, but it's not that we can put one law in place. Of course, with women's rights, there's also a lot of societal mm -hmm. uh, change that has to happen. People have to adopt, but over time it will hopefully yeah. um, still going on this adult, I think mm -hmm. that people are getting used to the idea we have a lot of biases but with climate change I think it's difficult because it's so broad and it so touches so many different points and people have different ideas of how we're going to solve it and there's not just one rule or law that can be implemented and then over time it will be adopted more um but I think it's good. I think we need forces from each part of society. Young activists or old activists. Yeah, like generations. Are good. Different backgrounds. Yeah. Just everyone. We need uh, people from... Uh, also then we need people from up in large corporations, mm -hmm. CEOs to take action. We need people from the legal side. You need these... It's not a one, one, one way or one person or one group solution. It's everyone has to come together, um, and there will be disagreements and there will be fights. But yeah, ex the extreme. I th honestly, I think the shock is fine. I think as long as no one is hurt, I think they should continue with activism because it's been a long time and we really need to, to make a change. Maybe coming back to the to the quote is that this is one of the reasons why I also go diving a lot with scuba diving and free diving is that I'm afraid that everything underwater that I see now will be gone within I don't even know 10 20 years. I mean that's going diving. I've seen a lot of bleached corals, which just breaks my heart. And I'm especially for corals. I'm not very hopeful that they will uh, survive or be restored. So it's also one of the things I'm doing to try to see the last remaining corals of the world and maybe some of the species as well. Well, that's really something to think about for sure. And 
maybe listening to this some more people will be motivated to go diving and see these amazing creatures underwater but uh, this is my my last and final question to you how do you upkeep your diving because you are living in Switzerland where there's a lot of lakes we're known for lakes and mountains great fish in Swiss lakes <laughs> but the trout uh, is a fascinating species <laughs> in all its grayness <laughs> But how do you how do you upkeep it? Do you, as you said, you do specific trips to go diving? But is, is that what you do, or yeah? So okay. this this is also one of these. Uh, I don't know if you say I'm like probably one of as many in our generation quite a hypocrite, but it's unfortunately flying somewhere where there's good diving and organizing my holidays around that. Um, of course, I. I'm also considering maybe going on adventure and living somewhere else for a couple of years and diving and being having that opportunity closer is a big factor of where I would want to live. Um, but there's a multitude of factors, job, of uh, course, that yeah. plays in. I have not yet scuba dived in the lake of Zurich. I don't think I will. <laughs> But I will probably this summer do some freediving training. Um, so dropping a line and going down. Uh, it just gets quite dark if you go to some certain depths. But uh, but I see people diving. I've, in, yeah, in there, are people. Lake. there are people. So I'm really curious to uh, hear you say what, what you've seen under there. Maybe it's... Yeah. fascinating and just no one knows yet no, here the thing with freediving you know you go you go a bit more into yourself so it doesn't really matter what's around you right um but it's quite cool when there's a shark swimming next to you versus a trout well thank you so much for sharing your thoughts not only on diving but also on the really interesting topic of sustainability because i think these two fit really well together Thank you for having me and uh, yeah, I look forward to finishing our glass of wine now. Cheers!